Amen. Well, um, you know what? I will just real quick. I kind of wanted to share a quick insert. You know what? I'm gonna have uh, I'm gonna have somebody come up real quick first, and just share um, what's been going on. Just remember, I was telling you guys. I was telling you guys last week. Hey, we're supposed to be spirit led, man. Reaching out to the community, stepping out, looking for those opportunities. Wherever at in the bank, Stater Brothers, you name it, it doesn't matter. Just ready to pray, ready to hear the voice of God, ready to step out and minister all day, every day. We're so focused. Like here tonight, you've come here, and guess what? You're ready to hear from the Word of the Lord. You're ready to hear from God. But it's like, what about tomorrow when you're at school, or tomorrow when you're at work, or tomorrow when you're at the grocery store? What about hearing from God then? See, that's the way the disciples act. That's the way the apostles moved. And so um, Christina was actually telling me something crazy that went down just uh, this last week, and so I'm going to have her come up and just share just a small bit. Um, and I hope it would be encouragement to us, man, to really step out, that God can use anybody. All you got to do is open your mouth and see what God will do. So why don't you come up? Come on. Welcome, Christina. Yeah. I'm not used to this at all, but um, last week when Josh was talking about just like stepping out and when you feel that inside, like just to go out and talk to somebody, I I would get I always get that feeling, but I don't step out enough and do I actually never do that and um, I feel like the Lord blesses me every single day and like I I thank Him for it so much and but I don't. I, I thank him so much for blessing me personally, but I don't step out and go to other people when I feel like it's needed. And um, so last week, the day after on Wednesday, I was driving to jury duty at like six in the morning, and I was just praying to God that He could just truly u- use me, like genuinely from my heart, like honestly and truly. I was just wanting to be used by Him that day, and I just to get rid of myself and just totally live for Him. And um, as soon as I walked at, or steps outside of my door of my car. Um, there's this girl that uh, she was just walking by me and then we went down into the line and there's this guy standing up on the cement block thing and he was preaching I don't know, he was preaching the gospel but it was like weird and um, probably intimidated people and scared them and stuff And um, so we just started talking she opened up to me and I really didn't say anything but she just started talking about how she was Catholic and she just turned um, to being Christian and um, and just like she was having a a lot of hard times like her dad was dying of cancer and she just felt like the Christian life was too hard and so I was able to encourage her and um, we exchanged phone numbers and we I don't know I just that was really cool and then so I thought that was it but then like a little while later I had um, a break for an hour and I sat next to this girl who goes to a Calvary Chapel I think in Marino Valley and she was just sharing with me how she misses how um she just wants to hear straight scripture um, from the Bible and not like when people preach to her and stuff. She doesn't want to hear from them personally. She wants to hear from Jesus personally. And we just, we, I don't know, we just got to share about like the, uh, the Lord and like the Bible with each other. And she was really encouraged and I was too. And it's just, it's just crazy how when we just kind of, we step out in faith a little bit and how God just, he just, um, uses us in ways that we have no control over and um i don't know it's just it was really cool just to experience that finally and just stepping out in faith and that's it (laughs) and that's what happened amen you know i 
it's not that it was the most radical or like you know she walked up in front of the courtroom and and said in the name of Jesus come forth you know and some dead man rose you know and, you know but but just the fact just to simply step out you know just to simply be use of God in any way shape or form you see it doesn't take see I'm, I'm like I'm crazy you know like like I'm loud and obnoxious and like I I just kind of built like I'll just talk to anybody any place anytime but maybe Christina won't. And, and, and is maybe a little more timid and, and maybe wouldn't just be as loud and obnoxious as I am. But you see, God can use anybody. And he's ready to use you. And you got to be ready at all moments, family. This is what we come here for. We've come here to be built up, to plug in, to be recharged, and then to go out and to minister unto the people. And it's something as simple as this. I bet you those girls, that girl, walked away just thinking motivated, like who prays for somebody? Who steps out and ministers Jesus any place, anytime, anywhere? And you know what? When I when I went to New Zealand and all these SWAT trips that I've been on, and anytime I go out witnessing, it's like when I encounter somebody and I end up ministering to them and bring them the good news and pray for them, they walk away thinking this, like what the heck just happened? Like Lord, are you, you know, like what is this random guy doing coming up and talking to me and praying for me all of a sudden? I want to share with you just real quick, and then I'm going to have one of the brothers come up and give a give a devo. But I want to share with you just something that's, that happened with uh, Christian. Christian, my brother, from the desert. Uh, this man is, is Mr. Just, he's awesome. I've told you many times, but he's the one that prays and God hears like anything he says. You know, it's like, Lord, please make this paintball gun work. And it works, you know, or, Lord, this generator is broken. Would you fix it? Bam, it's fixed. You know, it's just like, it just doesn't make sense. Like, he just prays for things, and it happens, okay? But even he, he's exhorting us. He's exhorting us brothers. He, all of us guys that were in Mexico, we constantly are exhorting each other and, and, and staying in contact with one another. And we call one another and confess and are just open, on an open level, all playing fields, like, full-on rebuke. I'm getting rebuked by, like, 18-year-olds all the time. You know, they're calling me up and letting me know what's going on. I'm 25, you know, and they just, they tell me the truth. And it's a blessing. We're brothers, and, and we're, we truly have the same blood running through us, the same minds, because we live together for four months, day and night, brushing teeth, taking showers, going to bed, arguing, fighting, this all this stuff, just but then being knit closely together by God through John Corson. And so um, this is one of the brothers, is a Christian, one of my sweetest brothers out there. And he says, uh, yo, bros, thought I'd share my day with you. And he says, my day at the top. Again, I, by the grace of God, have had an opportunity to live Jesus stuff like crazy. Just Jesus stuff. Any moment we're submitted to God, any any moment we're submitted to God, it's Jesus stuff. Whether at work or at the grocery store, interestingly enough, or cleaning at home, you catch what I mean. Yesterday was like Philip being, I was like Philip being told to go down south to the Ethiopian eunuch and then transported by the spirit back up north. The Lord really has a heart for my island. He says this, Yesterday at work, the father opened up the door for me to witness and share the truth with a young guy named John, who's like kind of a leader among the young people here. He was so receptive, it was nuts. Well, after work, I was having a divine appointment after divine appointment. I mean, I won't give the details, give the details other than a few of the more prominent ones. Last night, I saw two guys sitting beside the mall, probably in their early 30s. I just thought, man, I want to talk to these guys. I wasn't sure what to do. I'd never really chatted with them before. 
So I did the only thing that seemed to make sense. Wink. I went to the store and bought them a fudge cake. <laughs> he says, praise the king. I showed up. I showed up. Hey, I've got good news. I brought you a fudge cake. Here's some knives and forks. One of the guys responded, Whoa, this is so awesome. I've been having a bad day. I can't I can't make the bills and get the get the bills met, but thanks for this. And then I walked off saying, Enjoy. And I thought it was a sweet opportunity to just minister the unconditional love of Jesus with no strings attached. Isn't that radical? Isn't that awesome? Hey, I just want to give this to you in the name of Jesus. See ya. Then I hopped in my car and picked up Tyler, a young hitchhiker. And being full of the Holy Ghost, I shared the gospel with him. Unfortunately, he said, I got my own religion, skating and pot. Well, then I went and played community volleyball until 9.30. <laughs> and as I was driving home, I saw some kids at the gas station. They're like these bad kids, you know, like cool kids. And I was kind of a little scared to go and talk to them, but I sat down and chatted with them. I said, hey... I want to tell you guys my story when I was in grade 12. So I started to share my testimony with them. Then I dovetailed into the gospel. There were three guys, one girl. I know them. They seen me around a lot. As I was sharing, the couple my age showed up at and sat with us, a couple I encouraged and desired to minister to so much. They hitchhiked across the country to live on the West Coast. They've been homeless. They were sleeping out in the bushes in a tent. And praise the king, they had a real sensitivity to the Lord. I learned from my mistakes of sharing with these guys. I kept focusing on the ones who were really listening rather than the ones who weren't listening intently. What he's saying is he went to sit down with these boys like that, he, that he's known on his island. He went to go minister to them, but they didn't have ears to hear. But this homeless couple really had ears to hear. He says, but anyways, the couple who were homeless had just been given a van to sleep in. And they invited me over to this van. It was like 1030 at night. And he goes on to share how he just sat in that van and just started ministering to them and just had the opportunity to share in Christ. And he felt a real bond with them. These others that he desired to minister to, maybe the cool kid or something like that, it just didn't work. Like the Lord wasn't giving, giving him favor. But for some reason, these, he really got to share the gospel and really be a blessing to them. And so he goes on to share that. I'm not going to read all the way through that. But I'm going to share these last words of encouragement that he gave to us. He says, John's, he says, guys, John once shared that his greatest sermon, he's talking about John Corson, once shared that his greatest sermon preparation came often not from MP3s or commentaries, but rather from sitting at the kitchen table and hearing what people are actually going through. That's the season I've been in recently. Paul ministered publicly and house to house. I've been finding in my case where I am that people haven't been coming out to my Bible studies. And I have had a word... Listen, and I have had a word from John Wesley ringing through my mind all this month. The world is my parish. People aren't coming out to my Bible studies, and thus I'm going to them. Be it the pub, the golf course, the mall, work, the skate park, I'm seeking to seize those places as my place of sharing the truth. I've been on, a, I've been on quite a ride. It's been scary and a lot of fun at the same time. He says this, encouragement, number one, witnessing. I want to encourage you if you are feeling a little dry on your walk to witness. I'm finding that sharing and witnessing is scary, but exhilarating at the same time. 
I'm learning practically that the times when I sense the goodness of the Lord the most and my spirit is flooded with praise is when I witness to someone of the character and goodness of God, even though it's scary. I find it interesting that, if I remember correctly, when Nehemiah returned to rebuke the walls or rebuild the walls, I'm pretty sure the first gate he restored was the fish gate and would speak of witnessing and evangelism. Are you dry? Maybe it's time to start by restoring the gate, but it's scary. The Holy Spirit can empower you. And I just love that, man. He writes this to all the brothers, all those guys there in Mexico. It's like, you got it, Christian. Man, your heart is right in line with mine. The Father is testifying the same things to you that He is with me. If you're listening, my friend, I love you. And Lord, bless you, man, for warming my heart. But I exhort you tonight, family, that we would be those. Look at this. He just simply stepped out just like that. And look at the work that God did. Is it hard to buy a cake and give it to someone? Hey, that's what the Lord spoke to. That's what he felt he needed to do. So just step out. Christina, it's just simple. It's easy. You just step out. You you just take the step and watch God do the rest. It's simple. Amen? Be ready, man. Johan, why don't you come up here? This is one of my sweet brothers, Johan, man. He's been such a blessing to me and... um, We've had some sweet time of just fellowship. Me and him, we sit down and go get coffee and sit down and have breakfast with a couple other brothers, Justin. And, and um, man, he just sees things through different eyes, you know. And I just um, I just wanted him to come and bless us with a word. So please have ears to hear. Let's welcome him, man. Johan. Hi. I mean, I set this up really quick. Um, yeah, today I just want to share with you guys something that um, God put on my heart. And uh, before I start, I just want to um, just lift up a prayer. Uh, let's pray. Father, um, would you speak to us tonight? Just what you revealed to me. Father, use me to communicate that clearly. And um, Father, in spite of me... Um, Let's make that clear, and may there be a response tonight, a response to your love. Father, just uh, may you be glorified tonight, and uh, may I decrease as you increase this in our lives. So I lift uh, these up, and uh, myself, uh, would you be here? Um, and just name pray. So, um, yeah, what I want to share is this, that um, God loves you, that God loves you, and that God loves you. Did you get that? Did you get that? Um, it's it's something that um, we hear so much, you know, like, uh, I mean, in my church, we have these little flyers and, and everything. We have these, this children's ministry, and it says God loves you everywhere, and it's one of those things that I hear so much that... In a way, I get kind of desensitized to it. But what's been happening in my life is, um, I shared this with Josh, but uh, I've been going through some kind of hard times where, you know, you fall, and you fall again, and you fall again, and it's like, God, just help me. And I was just driving in the car, and um, this one, those three words, God loves me, God loves you, he made that real to me, and he made me understand the implications of what that really means. And I want to share that with you guys tonight. And I hope that um, I'll be able to communicate this clearly. And um, 
Yeah. So, to to understand what that means, God loves you. I think you got to understand who God is, you know? So we use three characteristics to define who God is. And first, God is omnipotent, right? And God is omnipresent. And God is omniscient, right? So those are the three things we use to define the attributes of God, right? So, and I think um, that's key for understanding the implication of what it means that God loves us, okay? So, um, basically, um, the fact that God loves you, it changes everything. I mean, everything in this world, everything in this life changes the minute you understand what that really means and the implications of that. I'm just, I've been saying implications over and over again, but, um, Basically, omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient. It means he can do anything for you. He is always there for you. And he knows everything about you, past, present, and future. So his love can never change. Right? So remember that his love can never change. His love, what is that? So to mean that his love can never change means it's constant. Alright? And I'm going to bring that up later on. So, I mean, what God used to make that... See, God uses things to help me understand... And um, I hope it works for you, too. Um, the first thing you brought to my mind was a video game. I, I don't know how old you guys are, but um, the first real video game I played was uh, Doom. Did you guys ever play Doom before? The computer game where you, like, it's like a first-person shooter. You fight all these monsters. And it was kind of scary. But one day, I found out the cheat codes for the game. That changed everything. I mean, IDDQD, you guys remember that? You know, IDKFA, you guys remember that, right? It's a, it's an invincibility mode, and then you get all the weapons, and then, like, so you're in level one, and you get these little monsters, but then you have, like, the, the BFG, you guys in the B, yeah, and, like, or, like, you're about to get killed, and then you do the god mode, and then, like, you know, your eyes turn all yellow, and then you're, you're invincible. I mean, th- that's what it felt like. I mean, okay, once you start using that, the game kind of loses its fun, but, um, you know what I mean. So, the... To realize that God loves you, it's kind of like getting the password to the game, you know? And realizing it's a game, too. I mean, another thing he used to bring to my mind is, um, remember that scene in, in Matrix, right? Okay, okay. So, uh, <laughs> so Neo, he's fighting these agents, and these agents are crazy. You know, you can't kill these guys, right? But in the end, when he realizes who he is, he starts to see these agents for what they really are. Right, he opens his eyes and they're like these green numbers, right? And that that means they're just pieces of code. They're just software. That's all it is, you know. And that's all this world is too. I think the moment you realize that outside of our universe there's a God that loves us, who knows everything about us and who's omnipotent, this world kind of turns into some kind of video game in a way, where it's just pieces of code. It's pieces of software in a way where, where things that used to matter a lot just doesn't really matter anymore, you know? And um, to me, I mean, Matrix is used a l- I mean, I don't know why it's such a trip for me, but, like, all the things about this, I mean, I can go on forever, but I'm not going to do that. Another thing, if God loves you, there's no way you can feel small or feel low or feel down, Okay? Um, the fact that God loves you okay Einstein you guys know Einstein right okay Einstein comes up with arguably the most important formula known to man today 
and it's called E equals MC squared, right? And I'm going to try to break it down for you guys, okay? E, you guys all know what E equals MC squared stands for, right? E is energy, M is mass, and C is constant, and you square that, okay? So E is energy, and that represents, that E represents my worth, my self-worth, my energy, how much I'm worth, right? And mass is how much I weigh, or pretty much what I am just physically, without my spirit. But then C, C is very interesting. I don't know if you guys know this, but do you know what C is? C is used, Einstein uses C as for constant. The only thing that's constant in this world is light. Isn't that a trip? And I'm going to relate this because, you know, in, um, let's see. Yeah, God is love. Do we understand? We all agree on that. God is love. First John 4:16. God is love. And God is light, right? John chapter 1, in the beginning, in God's light, right? So, with the, you know, what the, what's that one mathematical um, trans reflexive property? If A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C, right? So, if, if God is love and God is light, then God is light and light is love. They all like, it's like the same thing, right? And it's, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, okay. So, E equals MC squared. Basically, E equals M squared is saying that no matter what your self-worth is, no matter how low you feel, if you inject that C squared into you, which is C squared? It's the speed of light at 300 million miles, meters per second. And you square that. So that's like 9 with like a lot of zeros at the end. And then um, that's... And you, and you multiply that to your mass. And I, I'm kind of light. So, but you know, even that, it's like a lot, you know? So, and it all works out. I mean, the thing that the only thing constant in this world, in this universe, is light or God's love, right? And to know that changes everything. I want you guys to know just the implication of what that really means. I mean, yeah, just think about it. You know, I mean, tonight when you go home and go to sleep, I pray that you'll think about it. Just, you know, when you lie down the last 30 seconds before you sleep, you think about random stuff, right? But just think about that, that God loves you, right? God loves you. And, um, yeah. So, um, pretty much, to me, th the implication is God's love is like that C squared injection, you know? Or, or the password that makes you invincible. And just the realization that this life... This life is just passing, man. You know? And it's heavy. I mean, to me, it's heavy. So, what's my point? What's my point? That God loves you. There you go. God loves you. Apart from this, everything is secondary. I mean, nothing else matters. Even in the Bible, if we could sum it up in one phrase, it's that God loves us. Even if everybody in the world thought you were a loser, God's love, the light squared injection makes you yeah you know and without God's love everything else becomes irrelevant so before I get too um, repetitive here just remind the, remind us of yourselves remind us to yourselves daily um, let this be your weapon against the enemy you know when you you know when you fall if you fall and the enemy just kicks you when you're down remember that remember that God loves you right that the one and only creator omnipotent Right? Omnipresent. 
omniscient, that same God loves you. Okay, I'm going to end with this. Um, it's called The Father's Love Letter. I don't know if you guys heard of it or not, but um, it's basically a compilation of um, like a lot of verses. I think it's 47 verses. And it's put in the first person point of view. And um, it's basically, so, you know, so it's basically like God's talking to you. And I want you guys just to, um, I don't know, just close your eyes and just let it minister to you, okay? Uh, if you want to know the, you know, what, what, uh, what passage it's from, just come to me and I'll let you guys know, okay? So just, um, yeah, just close your eyes and let these 54 verses minister to your heart. You may not know me, but I know everything about you. I know when you sit down and when you rise up. I am familiar with all your ways. Even the very hairs on your head are numbered, for you were made in my image. In me you live and move and have your being, for you are my offspring. I knew you even before you were conceived. I chose you when I planned creation. You are not a mistake, for all your days are written in my book. I determined the exact time of your birth and where you would live. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I knit you together in your mother's womb and brought you forth on the day you were born. I have been misrepresented by those who don't know me. I am not distant and angry, but I am the complete expression of love. And it is my desire to lavish my love on you, simply because you are my child and I am your father. I offer you more than your earthly father ever could, for I am the perfect father. Every good gift that you receive comes from my hand, for I am your provider and I meet all your needs. My plan for your future has always been filled with hope because I love you with an everlasting love. My thoughts towards you are countless as the sand on the seashore, and I rejoice over you with singing. I will never stop doing good to you, for you are my treasured possession. I desire to establish you with all my heart and all my soul, and I want to show you great and marvelous things. If you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. Delight in me, and I will give you the desires of your heart. For it is I who gave you those desires. I am able to do more for you than you could possibly imagine. For I am your greatest encourager. I am also the Father who comforts you in all your troubles. When you are broken hearted, I am close to you. As a shepherd carries a lamb, I have carried you close to my heart. One day I will wipe away every tear from your eyes. And I will take away all the pain you have suffered on this earth. I am your Father and I love you even as I love my Son Jesus. For in Jesus, my love for you is revealed. He is the exact representation of my being. He came to demonstrate that I am for you, not against you, and to tell you that I am not counting your sins. Jesus died so that you and I could be reconciled. His death was the ultimate expression of my love for you. I gave up everything I loved that I might gain your love. If you receive the gift of my son Jesus, you receive me, and nothing will ever separate you from my love again. Come home and I'll throw the biggest party heaven has ever seen. I've always been father and will always be father. My question is, will you be my child? I'm waiting for you. Father, um, man, we just, I don't know what to say in response to your love. Knowing that who you are makes it so much different. That you that you would love us. Father, would you make that real to us? Would you make this real to my brothers and sisters here as you did to me? Let their heart just pound with anticipation. 
Father, we love you. And, um, man, we just want to live our lives for you. Father, don't let this life that we live here on earth get in the way of loving you and receiving your love. Help us to see this world for what it is and help us to see you for who you are. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Man, love Johan. He just, he just got a way, I'm telling you, when we sit down and have coffee, he's got a way of putting things in a picture. His dad was like the top photographer in Korea. He's like the master photographer of all photographers. And so Johan thinks, sees everything through pictures. So like he always gives me a perfect picture for to help me understand the things that he's trying to communicate. Remember one time he was trying to explain to me, how humid it was at some place that he was at in some country. He was like, when I got in the airport, it was like, you know, it's, it's not too bad in there, but it's like as soon as I was about to walk outside, you know, there's those uh, there's those electronic doors that open and shut, like at the grocery store, who says, as soon as he walks outside, the door opened, and it was like somebody exhaled in my face. <sighs> it's perfect, you know, that's humidity, you know, it's like, it's just like, that's it, that's ex- that's exactly it. And it's true, man. When we realize God's love, it's almost like we become invincible, man. What can bring us down? Who cares if nobody else in the world loves me? If my God loves me, that's what matters. If everything else will fail, if everything else will mess up, but there is one who is constant, one that will continue, light, will God being light, Everything may, being made up of it. Him being everywhere at all times in all places. Gosh, I just love thinking about that stuff. I'm telling you, if you sat down one of during our coffee sessions, woo, you walk away just like, what the heck just happened? You know, like you just got flipped upside down and inside out because, man, we just start bouncing concepts off each other. It just, it's an awesome time. But I love the different flavor, family. I love, you don't have to hear my voice all the time. We are in Judges chapter 21 tonight. Guess what? We're closing the book of Judges. Snap. We're done. And we're moving on to the next book. The next book is Ruth, and I think I'm actually going to give a summary of Ruth Thursday night, uh, if you'll be there at the Gape Feast. Um, But then we're going to be in the book of Samuel next week. There you go. Look at that. We skip a whole book because, well, we teach chapter by chapter, chapter a day. And so tonight we're going to be looking at this crazy movie. I'm telling you, it is a crazy flick. This is a, it's just, the scene is insane. But let's go before the Lord. We're going to mow through this together tonight. <laughs> let's pray. <laughs> Father, you're so great, my King. I'm so happy that you are forever. You are from everlasting to everlasting. You never leave. Thank you for being such a great God. Thank you for loving us. Why? Why? Have we been good or something? Have we been sweet to you? Have we brought you flowers today? No, we forgot. Lord, you're so good to us. You bring us flowers and breakfast. You give us something to eat every single day. You take care of our bills. 
You provide for us. You give us rest. You give us peace. You give us heaven for free. You're a great God. We don't deserve any of this. We don't We don't need this, Lord. All we need is you, Jesus, and you've given us so much more. And so we just say thank you for all that you've given and all that is so sufficient within you. Thank you for offering yourself to us and giving it to us for free. We're forever grateful. Speak to us through your scriptures. Please help me to communicate it efficiently to the people. Please, Father, I don't know what to say. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are going to blow through three chapters tonight, but man, time is a blazing. <laughs> um, so, I, but I still am. I'm going to have uh, Robert Hill come up and share with us Judges chapter 19. Just summarize it because he did the devotional this week, and I know that he kind of has it there within his mind. So he's going to start the movie off for us tonight, okay? He's going to bring in the credits, and he's going to bring in everything that's happening there in the beginning. And we're going to move into this craziness. You're about to see something crazy going on. So, Robert Hill, let's welcome Robert now. Yeah. I have to sit down because I am old. <laughs> Josh, Josh came to me uh, just to set the foundation here. I was walking out the door to come and set this set the stuff up and he goes Robert hey can you do 19 for me tonight because since that was your devotional you know it pretty well and so like Josh would say I said snap (laughs) yeah I'm walking out the door and can you do that okay (laughs) deserves a slap in the face right that's what Josh would say (laughs) well um, Judges chapter 19, it's really uh, 19, 20, and 21 is, you know, my my son comes to me and he goes, uh, he calls me Bubba. That's my nickname. And he, he asked me, um, where in the Bible is there any war and fighting? He's really into this stuff. You know, he likes these little men. And uh, so I, I kind of share with him some areas, but as we're reading in Judges 19, 20, and 21, man, is there some f- crazy stuff going on here. And 19 actually kind of sets up for the next uh, two chapters. And um, what happens in 19, if you haven't read it, is that this is a time in Israel's life where they don't have a king. And um, so they're kind of just governing themselves and you know, I'm sure God's not super happy with Israel at this time, just by what you read in these different chapters. And uh, so this Levite, <clears throat> this Levite, um, it doesn't really say a name, but he's a Levite. He decides that he's going to go find himself a concubine. And as you know, concubines, you know, they're tolerated, but they're not something that the Lord really likes them to have. But it's just tradition at that time, so they're tolerated. And a concubine has, uh, they, they, they have all the responsibilities of a wife, you know, kids, help with the family, but they don't have any privileges. Their, their, their children don't get any inheritance, so they're just basically uh, kind of a slave, but, uh, but it's tolerated at that time. So he, he takes off to Bethlehem, and he's, he, he's looking for a concubine. So he finds one, and, uh, you know, he's got his donkey and his servants and stuff, so he's traveling on the road, and he, and he grabs finds this concubine that he asked to come with him and, and she comes with him all the way back home and, and about three or four months later she becomes 
dissatisfied and unhappy and kind of being the harlot type thing. And she decides, I'm going to run away. So she runs away back home. And uh, so he gets up the next morning and says, that's eh, not going to happen. I'm going to go get her. So he grabs his servants and his donkeys, and he, and he goes back to Bethlehem to pick her up. And so he's there, and he travels on the road. And uh, as he gets there, the father's, you know, whining and dining him and saying, hey, you know, no reason to go back home so fast. And so he talks him into staying four or five days. And so finally he decides, hey, you know, it's time for me to go. So he grabs his concubine, which, you know, is his daughter. And uh, the servants and the donkeys, and they travel. And so they travel down the road, and the servant's getting tired and saying, hey, let's stop here. And he's saying, no, it doesn't feel comfortable, and let's stop here. And it's not it's not comfortable. And he finds a, a, a little town, I think it's, what is the name of that town? Gilead. Gilead. And Gilead is a town that is really run by the Benjamites, the Benjamin. And so they uh, they go into this town, and, and so he's in, in the town square, and it's real late at night, and they're all sitting there. And, and in those days, it was custom for the town to come in and take care of travelers. They would invite them in their home and feed them and, and take care of them and uh, protect them. But this time, nothing was happening. He was there all by himself, and nobody was coming forward. And this, this old man comes down, and he comes from the mountains working, and he sees this uh, sees this Levite sitting there and says, Hey, you know, what's going on? Uh, no place to stay tonight. And he says, No, nobody's come and invited me to their home. And so he says, Well, come with me. And he takes the takes the Levite. Even though Levite had all the food and everything he needed, he uh, still nobody would invite him home. So he, he takes him home, and uh, they're, they're having dinner, and they're having a good time whining and dining, and uh, all of a sudden he gets a knock on the door. Okay, this is where it really starts getting crazy. And uh, the, ta- the the people of the town, the men of the town, are there at the door. And uh, they go, hey, send that stranger out. We want to have relations with him. Okay, and so that's sexual relations, right? Um, and he says, no, no, you know, I can't do that. But at the same time, he, you know, p- these families are supposed to protect the travelers, and and that means you're supposed to step up. You know, you're supposed to step up and say, hey, no. Well, instead, he pushes his daughter and the concubine out and says, hey, no, you can't have the, the traveler, but you can have my virgin daughter and the concubine, right? So they say, no, we don't want them. You know, we want, you want the guy. And he slams the door and pushes them out. So what they do is they take this concubine and... You know, they ravish her all night. And uh, the next morning he gets up to go home and opens the door, and there she is. She's, she's laying on the front porch half dead. And so uh, the Bible is, you know, I guess it gets pretty crazy here. And, and so he grabs her up, and he puts her on his donkey, and they go home. And uh, this kind of sets up the next uh, two chapters, 20 and 21. He takes, when he gets her home, and he takes his knife, and he chops her into 12 pieces. Okay, she's dead. So he chops her into. I hope she's dead. She chops her into twelve pieces, and he sends one to every tribe of Israel. So because they had no king and no leader and nobody to get them going, nobody to get them, uh, you know, ready to fight. This is how he did it. He sent them to each one of the tribes to infuriate them and make them mad. So what this is doing is this is setting up what's going to happen in twenty and twenty-one, and, and Josh is going to get into that. So. Just picture, that's where it's at right now. Each one of the tribes have gotten a piece of this, and so how are they feeling? How are they going to react to this? And it's pretty amazing what happens. So, 
Let me pray real quick, and I'll turn it over to Josh. Dear Lord God, God, we are so thankful, God, for you tonight, that we have this fellowship with you, God, that you've given us this, us this ability to be able to gather tonight and just listen to your word, God. And so I just I raise this night up to you, God, to just be with Josh, and just as he shares his word and shares your word with us, God. So we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. That was great. So, man. Robert kind of knew the chapter a little better than I did, so I just thought he would bring it. He did a great job. It's very descriptive and exactly what happened. So, hey, so all this happens in this city, and this is where the Benjamites are at, right? And so this man cuts up this girl, his, his concubine, and sends all these body parts. There's 12 tribes in Israel, if you don't know. The nation of Israel. It's like if we were a nation, there are 12... Uh, say states okay and and they're divided into different sections and a different kind of people so we're the californians or the californites or whatever but he cuts up apart each body and he sends it to each state or to each tribe and so israel as a whole the united states as a whole is stinking fired up they're ticked about this one thing that has happened and we're going to watch what unfolds this passion and this desire this Thing. So everybody's mad at the Benj- Benjamites, Ben Laden. They're mad at the Benjamites. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, you listeners. And let's start here in verse twi- uh, chapter 20, verse 1. We're going to dive right into it. Then all the children of Israel went out, and the congregation was gathered together as one man. See this, all of Israel. This is the 11 tribes. There's one tribe, the Benjamites, that they're against. Dan even to Beersheba with the land of Gilead and to the Lord in Mitzpeh. Mitzpeh is south. It's it's in the Mitzpeh Ramon. I actually stayed there when I was in Israel. Family there that I love, Don and Dalia. Verse 2, and the, sh- and the chef of all the people, even all the tribes of Israel, presented themselves in the assembly of the people of God. 400,000 footmen drew swords. So check this. All of a sudden, 400,000 men of Israel draw their swords. Just like, dude, we're ticked. Who are the, where are the Benjamites at? Who did this? Remember, they raped this woman all night, and they killed her. And then this man cuts up the pieces and sends it away with a note or whatever, letting these people know what had happened. And these 4,000 men, 400,000 men, come up. Verse 3, look at Now the children of Benjamin heard that the children of Israel were gone up to Mitzpah, then said the children of Israel, Tell us how this is, how was this wickedness? And the Levite, the husband, the woman, this man that cut up the body, the Levite, the husband of the woman that was slain, answered and said, I came to Gibeah that belonged to Benjamin and, and my concubine to lodge. And the men of Gibeah rose up against me and beset my house round about upon at night. And thought to have slain me and my concubine, had they force that she is dead. I took my concubine and cut her into pieces and sent her throughout all the country of the inheritance of Israel. For they have committed lewdness and folly in Israel. Behold, you are the children of Israel. Give here your advice and counsel. Okay? So what happens? This Levite, this man comes to Israel. 400,000 men with their swords drawn. Hey, what are we to do? What's going on here? What's the deal? And this Levite man, his, his concubine has just been killed. He's like, what are you guys going to do about this? And so look what Israel does. Look at what the 400,000 men do. Look what they do. 
Verse 8, And all the people arose as one man, saying, We will not any of us go to his tent, neither will we any of us turn into his house. Meaning, nobody's going home. Verse 9, But now this shall be the thing that we will do to Gibeah. We will go up by lot against it, and we will take ten men of a hundred throughout all the tribes of Israel, and a hundred of a thousand, and a thousand of ten thousand, to fetch victual for the people that they may do when they come to Gibeah of Benjamin according to all the folly that they have wronged in Israel. So all the men of Israel were gathered against the city, knit together as one man. Okay. So look at this. Okay, so the Levite with the dead concubine sends it out. He comes to these guys, 400,000 men, says, what are you going to do about this? What did the men do? They come together and they do a draft. They do a draft, like we're going to war. And so they take a bunch of the men of Israel, of the 11 tribes, to go and attack the 12th tribe, Benjamin. Look at what they didn't do. What they did not do is what? Seek the face of God. What did they do? They stood up and said, we will go and avenge you. Mistake number one. What are you doing with Israel? What does Israel mean? Governed by God. The word Israel means governed by God. They are not being governed by God at all. They are making their own decision. They have not sought the face of the king. And you know what? It's the same situation as us. Many times when we have gone to war as a nation, I believe our founding fathers, when they went to war, when it was time to, the the men would get on their faces and seek God. What are we to do? But now this day and age, we come together in a council and we figure out how we can avenge. Look what happened when 9-11 happened. We as a people, we as a nation, 400,000 men come together, draw their swords. We're going to avenge these people who are dead. It's like a body part was sent to every single state here in America. And we all come together. Do we seek the face of God? Oh no, oh no. One nation under God? Yeah, right. We are not Israel. We claim to be one nation under God, but we are not governed by God. We seek our own advice. Listen to this verse, family. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. Just listen to it. You can write it down. Gosh, I just missed it. You ready? If my people, God speaking, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now it's simple. He says, if my people, who are his people? That's us. That's believers. That's Israel. Those are his people. And guess what? There's the secret to Judges chapter 20 right there. There it was. There's the secret. If my people, right here, if they would just turn to me and call to my name and repent of their sin and humble themselves, I will heal their land. Look at the destruction. Look at the problems that they're having right here. They're about to go to war with their own. A civil war is about to break out. God says, if you would just humble yourselves and pray, I would heal this land. But they don't do that, do they? They counsel amongst themselves. We're going to avenge these people. We're going to avenge this Levite man for what has been done to him by the Benjamites. And so they break out into war without seeking the face of God and watch what happens. You know what? Real quick. If my people, 
which are called by my name, would humble themselves and pray and repent, I will hear the land. Who, who is to repent? My people. Who are his people? That's us. You want to know why this land isn't healed, family? It's because my people do not humble themselves and pray and repent. It's because my people do not get on their face and throw away this wickedness. Many people say, you want to know why America's being judged? It's because of all the sin. This is sin country. No, no, no. If my people would humble themselves. You want to know why this country is going down? You know that I, I just heard, I don't know if this is actually, I can't say with fact, but that it looks like our our dollar value is getting down to about the Canadian money, about the same amount. Our dollar value has dropped so much, and it keeps dropping. You know what that means? That our economy is falling. And you know what that means? We are Rome, and we are about to crash. And you want to know why? Maybe you say, it's because of Las Vegas. It's because of Hollywood. It's because in New York, all these people partying all the time. They need to repent. Oh, no. If my people, who are called by my name, would humble themselves and pray and repent of their sin, I would heal their land. Who are his people? Here we are. It's you, family. It's me. It is our fault. There was one time when this nation sought the face of God and prayed. And it was successful. It was growing. It was on the upstroke, but we are on the downstroke as we speak. And it is because of us. And we are called to humble ourselves and pray. It is because you know what to do and you do not do it. It is because you know what to do and how to call out to your God. You understand the principles of the King. You understand the Word of God. You know what it is to pray. You know what it is to sin. It is our fault. There's a man that I just heard not too long ago of Calvary Chapel. He spoke this to the people. He said this to their congregation. He says, Chuck Smith has taught you enough. You don't need to know anything more about the Bible. You are well fed. But you do not listen. You do not take heed to the Word of God. And this is why it is falling. And this is why there is not revival in our family. This is, not why, this is why there is not revival in the church. It is because of us. If my people... That's you, that's me. Called by my name would humble themselves, turn from their wickedness and pray. Just simply pray. I would heal their land. You know the secret. God has given it to you. We don't need to come together and and, and try to figure out what we need to do to solve this war. No, no, no. We need to get on our face and pray. And God will take care of it. He does not need us to step out. And we're going to watch this. Unfold. This is crazy. Get ready. Verse 8. I'm sorry. Verse 12. And the tribes of Israel sent men throughout the tribe of Benjamin, saying, What wickedness is that you have done among you? Now therefore deliver us the men, the children of Belial, which are in Gibeah, that we may put them to death and put away the evil from Israel. But the children of Benjamin would not hearken to the voice of their brethren, the children of Israel. Did you hear that? So Israel, 400,000 men, come to Benjamin and say, Hey, the people who raped that girl and the people who killed her, just bring them out and we're going to put them to death. And everything will be taken care of. And Benjamin, the tribe, said, No, we will not let them go. So look what happens. Verse 14, The children of Benjamin gathered themselves together out of the cities and to Gibeah to go to battle against the children of Israel. Benjamin 
picks up their stores, the tribe, and comes to fight Israel, the 400,000 men. I'm sorry, there's not 400,000 now. There's a lot less because they did a draft. There's a lot. And the children of Benjamin, verse 15, were numbered at the time of the cities, 26,000 men that drew the sword beside the inhabitants of Gibeah, which were numbered 700 chosen men. Verse 16, And all the men there were 700 chosen men, left-handed. Everyone could sling stones at a hairbreadth and not miss. Okay, what does that mean? Check this out. So Israel brings all their army together, comes over to Benjamin, give us the men or we're gonna kill, we just want to kill them and everything will be made peace. And then Benjamin's like, nope, we're not giving them. And so Benjamin pulls out their swords and there's about a war about to go down. Nobody's seeking the face of God, nobody cares. They're just gonna take care of it themselves. Lord, what does that mean? Tell the butterfly to go away. Moth or whatever it is. But, so what happens? Lord, I'm going to strike judgment upon this rat. Oh, it's a praying mantis. A praying mantis. What does that mean? Anyways. Oh. What do I... Okay. We'll just let him be. Lord, put him to sleep. All right, so there's a war about to break out, okay, and, and, and Benjamin brings 26,000 men together, 700, and 700 of these men are left-handed, left-handed, well, that's like a lefty in baseball, it's killer, man, it's great to have that, lefty pitcher, that is, anyways, they got 700 lefties, and all of these men can throw a rock and hit, hit a hair, they could hit a hair on a tree. They're so sweet at throwing this rock. It sounds like somebody we know, somebody close to home. King David, remember? The giant slayer. Threw that rock, hit him right square in the forehead. Hit him right exactly where he's supposed to. So all of these men can sling a rock like David. These are the Benjamites. This is the enemy. And Israel is coming up against him. Look what happens. Verse 17, And the men of Israel, beside Benjamin, were numbered four hundred thousand men that drew the sword. All these were men of war. So 400,000 men. Verse 18, And the children of Israel rose up and went to the house of God and asked counsel of God and said, Which of us shall go up first to the battle against the children of Benjamin? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up first. Now maybe you're thinking, Oh, oh, they're seeking God. No. They're asking the wrong questions of God. It's like buying a car. Maybe you're asking the Lord, Man, well, you're not asking the Lord whether or not you should buy a new car and whether or not you can afford it. You're just saying, I'm going to buy a new car. And you go to the dealership and start looking around and saying, Lord, which one you want me to pick out? And you're standing around, you know, the, the Porsche. You know, it's just like, that one looks really nice. I only make about $1,000 a month, but that one looks really nice. I want that Porsche. And Lord, I think you have your hand on it. Which one, Lord, blue or red? And that's what's happening here. They haven't sought the Lord whether or not they should even go to war. They haven't sought the Lord about whether or not what they should do, period. Just like, Lord, we have a problem. What, what, what should we do? You tell us. They haven't said anything to him. They just immediately go, Lord, which Porsche, blue or red? Hey, hey where would that come from? Which tribe do you want to go and fight for us? Which tribe do you want to go first? That's the first question they ask. Mistake. And family, 
that should be something we could take note of real quick. When you are asking something of the Lord, you want to be going with an open heart. Make sure you haven't missed a couple steps. You haven't even sought the face of the king and you're already so you're ankle deep into this thing. What are you doing? Turn around, retreat. Repent. Humble yourself before God. Don't make a decision and then ask God what you should do. Before you make a decision, you ask King, do you even want this? Or before you even make that decision, it should probably be God leading you to that decision. A circumstance, something opening your eyes before you even step into thinking about that. Not, Lord, I made a decision, red or blue. No. Mistake. Let's watch what happens because of their mistake. So the Lord says, Judah shall go up first. Okay, you you want you want blue? Okay, here, blue. Take the blue Porsche. Lord teaching him a lesson. Verse 19, And the children of Israel rose up in the morning and encamped against Gibeah. And the men of Israel went out to battle against Benjamin, and the men of Israel put themselves in array to fight against them in Gibeah. And the children of Benjamin came forth out of Gibeah and destroyed down the ground of the Israelites that day 22,000 men. And the people, the men of Israel, encouraged themselves and set their battle again in array in the place where they put themselves in array the first days. Look what happened. They come up against Benjamin, and Benjamin kills 22,000 of their 400,000. Bam, right there. Amazing. And look what happens, verse 23. And so they reset themselves, and they get ready, like, we're going to go attack again. Here we go. Verse 23, And the children of Israel went up and wept before the Lord until evening and asked the counsel of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up again to battle against the children of Benjamin, my brother? So so they're coming back to the Lord, and they weep. They cry. But why are they crying? Are they crying because they made a mistake? Are they repenting? Or are they crying because they lost 22,000 men? And this happens a lot with us, family. When we repent of sin, when we come to the Father, two things happen. Either this... We come to the Lord because we're, because, hey, say you go and steal something and you get caught. Then you go to God and you say, Lord, I'm I'm sorry, I got caught, and you're about to go to jail. You're like, Lord, please save me from jail. Don't let me go, please. Why, why, Why are you repenting to the Lord? Is it because you got caught and you don't want to go to jail? Or is it because you love God and you want to seek his counsel and you want to know his word and his will for your life? There's a difference there. You see what I'm talking about? When we repent, we should not be repenting. Because we don't want to get in trouble. We don't want something to happen. We should be repenting because we love God. And we hate to displease Him. Not because we want something good to come out of this. And so what do they want? They want to beat the Benjamites. Why do they want to beat them? They want to avenge these people. Why? Because now they killed the one girl, but they've also killed 22,000. So now they're weeping, crying before the Lord, please deliver us, please help us. Why? It's for your own selfish reasons. They miss it again. And look what happens. The children of Israel, 24, came near against the children of Benjamin the second time, or a second day. And Benjamin went forth against them out of Gibeah the second day and destroyed down the ground of the children of Israel, 18,000 men, and these drew the sword. Did you hear that? Guess what? Another 18,000 die. 18,000! You know how many people that is? So now 40,000 people have died. 40,000. And look finally what Israel does. Verse 26, Then all the children of Israel and all the people went up and came to the house of God and wept 
and sat there before the Lord and fasted that day until even, evening and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. There, that is true repentance. They wept before the Lord. They sat before the Lord. They fasted. That means they took away the food that they were eating of that dance. We are not going to eat. We are going to pray and talk to you, God. What did they do? They offered up a peace offering and a burnt offering. What's a burnt offering for you, remember? It's for sin. They repented. They truly repented before God. And now look what happens. The children of Israel inquired of the Lord, for the Ark of the Covenant was there in those days. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, stood before it in those days, saying, Shall I yet again go into battle against the children of Benjamin, my brother, or shall I cease? So they really seek the face of God. They say, Lord, should we stop fighting or should we go into battle? And the Lord said, Go up, for tomorrow I will deliver them into your hand. Affirmative. You see that? That's how we go to God. And Israel set their lyres in wait around Gibeah, And the children of Israel went up and the children of Benjamin in the third day and put themselves array against Gibeah and the other times, as the other times. The children of Benjamin went out against the people and were drawn away from the city. They began to smite the people and kill as other times in the highways of which one goeth up to the house of God and the other Gibeah in the field, about 30 men of Israel. So 30 men of Israel die in this second attack, but then all of a sudden... The children of Benjamin said, They are smitten down before us as the first time. But the children of Israel said, Let us flee and draw them from the city under the highways. And all the men of Israel rose up out of their place and put themselves array in Baltamar. And the liars, wait, these are guys who are hiding in the bushes to ambush. And they put themselves in array. And the liars came in wait from I'm sorry, in weight of Israel came forth out of their places, even out of the meadows of Gibeah. And they came against Gibeah, ten thousand chosen men out of Israel. But the battle was sore, but they knew not that evil was near. And the Lord smote Benjamin before Israel. And the children of Israel destroyed the Benjamites. The day twenty-five thousand and a hundred men, and all these drew the sword. So the children of the Benjamin saw that they were smitten, for the men of Israel gave place to the Benjamites. Because they trusted under the liars and the weight which had been set aside to give you. So this ambush takes place. They kill all of Benjamin. And there fell, verse 44, let's jump down. And there fell Benjamin, 18,000 men, and all the men were valor. And they turned and fled towards the wilderness and the rock of Rimmon. And they gleaned them in the high ways, 5,000 men, and pursued after them into Gideon and slew them and slew 2,000 men of them. So that which fell the day of Benjamin went, and 5,000 men drew the sword, and all these men of valor. But 600 men turned and fled into the wilderness and the rock of Rimmah. They abode in the mountains. I'm sorry, they abode in there for four months. And the men of Israel turned again to the children of Benjamin and smote them with the edge of the sword. And the men of every city, as the beast, at all came to the hand. Also they set on fire the cities they came to. So they destroy the entire place of Benjamin. I mean, they just destroy the Benjamites. They take him out. Israel comes and attacks him and just swoops on him, just blows him away. Because they finally repent to the Lord. But see, there's principles in this. Number one, the fact that true repentance needs to happen when we seek the face of God. But number two, before you point out the fault in other people's lives, like look what the Benjamites did, you get the sin with your own life dealt with. You make sure that you're right before God before you go and rebuke a man. 
And maybe you think to yourself, like these guys, well, so-and-so's doing something wrong. I need to bring the scriptures and smack them over the head with the Bible. Hey, God doesn't need you to do that. He can take care of it himself. And before you do that, you should go seek his face. Because look at what these did. They said, these guys did something wrong, so we're going to go smack them over the head with the sword. And they did go to do that, didn't they? And they failed, and many died. And it was a bloody mess. And you'll recognize this. There's many times in my life when I've wanted to stand up on the soapbox at my church and say, this is wrong. And why aren't we doing this? And we should be doing that. And hey, the scriptures say this, and I want to bring out the sword. But I've heard many wise men tell me, Josh, you be quiet. And you seek the face of the Lord and you wait for your opportunity to be able to share. You don't open your mouth and make a fool of yourself. It's going to be a bloody mess. And it's true. Many will die if that happens. You keep your mouth quiet. Maybe you think, but I need to point that out. I need to make my point. I need to let them know. No, you don't. God doesn't need you. He can take care of it himself. You stay quiet. You pray about it. You seek the face of God. You make sure that you're right with God first before you go pointing out anybody's faults. You recognize that own sin within your own life first. Hey, listen to this. Listen to this quote. It shook me up when I heard this. The very sin that you see in other people's lives the most is the one that you struggle with the most. The very sin that you see in other people's lives that comes out, that's the one you struggle with the most. Why? Because it's closest to home. Because you know exactly how it works and you struggle with it and you take it on pride. That's something that I see in people so quickly. Because that's my biggest struggle. It's who I am. It runs in my veins. So I can point out real quick when somebody's being prideful and boasting about themselves and all this is because I am very familiar with this. Family, I want you to understand this. I want you to know this. Don't point it out to someone else before you have it dealt with in your own life. Amen? All right. Oh. Gird up your minds. Now the men of Israel had sworn to Mitzpah, saying, There shall not any of us give his daughters unto Benjamin the wife to his wife. So what did they say? Now all of, after all this war, they just smote Benjamin, the Israelites. It'd be like us having war with Iraq, and we smote them, or what, or the terrorists, or whatever is going on. Okay, and then all of a sudden we say.